Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. Um, this is where we know who the true like morning people are. Um, this Sunday, every year, it's like you walk in and you're like, all right, you're all the morning people, like for real, for real. Because like the halfway morning people are coming to the 1030, you know, and so they're like, thank God we have a second service. But um, just happy to see you guys. Um, if this is your first time here, my name is John Wagler and I'm part of this team and I'm just excited that you're here and hopefully this place becomes a place that you can call uh, home. Um, if for some reason you're like, nah, I don't think this is it, we'd love to help you find a church home. Um, it's super important to be plugged into a church community, um, one that you can grow with and um, build community in, and, uh, and so we'd love to help you do that. Of course, we are biased and think it should be here, um, but if not, we'd love to help you um, find one. Uh, we're going to start a new series today called In Three Days. Um, we are four weeks away from Easter, which is crazy, and um, you know, for us, there's uh, a lot goes in, a lot of planning goes in and everything, and you feel like this pressure because of it's Easter, right? You got to like do it up and uh, all that stuff. And we try to like manage that as best as possible. But we're excited about um, this Easter season. Um, but months and months ago, um, I was reading through Matthew 12 and uh, some of the teachings of Jesus. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, the, the book of Matthew is actually a section of scripture in the Bible that um, details out the life and teachings of Jesus. And I was just reading through some of the things he was teaching and and uh, how Matthew was describing it. And there's just one little passage that I'm going to show you that was just, I was like, huh, there's, there's got to be more to this. And, uh, and it was um, this passage where Jesus talking to these Pharisees who were the religious teachers of that time. And, and uh, he was talking to all these other like religious experts. And, uh, and he's having this conversation. Now what's interesting about this point uh, in the life of Jesus is he's getting a lot of fanfare. He's getting a lot of followers. Um, people are really stoked on his healings, of course. And, and as you can imagine, if you had a friend who like couldn't walk and all of a sudden Jesus was like, walk and they walked, you'd be pretty stoked on that too. So they're really like, like they're all excited about his healings. They're um, really, it's interesting because some of his teachings are so challenging. Like they're, they're, but to some people, they're like taking it in. It's like, man, this is like, this is like, life to me like these teachings like it's changing everything to other people like they're hearing his teachings and they're really offended they're um they're 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 holding on to like what they know and rather than kind of buying into what jesus is teaching and so they they come on this one part in matthew chapter 12 and i want you to see this and this is going to kind of kick off like where we're going in the series but he says this then some of the experts in the law along with some of the pharisees and so these pharisees again these are like the religious people and um my pen's not working you guys are in trouble um, these are these are the religious people, and so what ends up happening uh, with with this is is he's coming to them and he's like, listen, you guys are getting this part like wrong. You guys are getting this part like you're you're off on this. And it's interesting. Watch what they say to him. He said, "Teacher, we want to see a sign from you." But he answered them, "An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet who, Jonah." So it's. This part, I'm like, huh. One, I'm like, how many guys have ever wanted to see a sign from God and have asked for it, right? And it's funny because we've all done this. Like, I've done this too. It's like, God, if you would just do whatever that is, right? And you're like, then I will. And Jesus is actually not cool with that, by the way. And we've all done it. Like, he gives us grace in it. But it's like, he's not like, yes, please come to me with that. Um, it's okay, but, but he, he's not like actually cool with that. And, uh, but he's like, I've given you a sign. It's the sign of a prophet Jonah. 
He says, for just as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish um, for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be put in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented when Jonah preached to them. And then now, look at this. What does he say? Now something what? Say it loud and say it proud. Yeah, then Jonah is here. Something greater. And I remember reading this passage and I'm like, I grew up in the story of Jonah. How many guys grew up in like with the story of Jonah? It's okay if you didn't. Like we're going to do a lot and help you build a little bit better base than maybe what you grew up with. Um, but the story of Jonah, like I know the story of Jonah, and I and I know a lot of the elements of it. I'm like, but why was this the one Jesus chose? Like why, why this one? Like why why just Jonah? There's so many other stories he could have used. To, to actually talk to these people and to actually maybe try and convict these people. It was like, a, I mean, a myriad of stories he could have used from Hebrew scripture, but he chose Jonah. And, and just Jonah, and, and in, in three days, it's like, oh, is it just about the three-day thing? Like, is that really all it is? Because, you know, Jesus dies for three days, and it's like, is it just about that? Or is there there's something more? There has to be something more to the story. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't know that like, I really fully know the answer to that. And so over the course of this series, we're kind of build some layers into this story. Like, why did Jesus choose this story? And why is this focus on in three days? Is there something significant with this story of Jonah? But first, I think it's important to, to talk a little bit about Jonah. Um, who's the other main character in the story of Jonah? Jonah and the what? whale or, or great fish or as Jesus says the the monster right um and it's interesting we always associate Jonah and the whale because I mean you guys veggie tales do you remember that like yeah 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 and uh and so um veggie tales is great and and all that um it simplifies really complex bible stories and there's a piece to that which is beautiful for its because it's for kids however it's also really bad <laughs> um here's why uh, it neglects the com- complexity and nuance of the stories. And so if you just think, oh, it's like Jonah and the fish. Look, you could take the fish out of the story and still have all of the main meaning. So the fish actually isn't that big of a deal in the story. Now, we always think that it is. And it's what we know of Jonah. And so, but the fish is like, I mean, it's a character, but it isn't a necessary character. Does, does God use it? Yeah, like, but it doesn't, he doesn't have to actually be there. And so, um, so even in this story, I want you to see, so has anyone ever told you that the Bible is really easy to read? Just like pick it up, read it, God will reveal what he needs to reveal. Have you ever heard something like that before? Um, I suppose technically, yes, God could reveal something to you if you just pick the Bible up and read it. Yes, I believe that to be true. Is the Bible easy to read? No, not even close. Proverbs, Sure. Like, those are all, like, little one-liners. Like, we're all good with Proverbs. But to pick up the Bible and read it is actually very difficult. It's complex. It's nuanced. And I want you, like, over these four weeks together and this story, um, I want to show you why that's so important, though. Um, how many of you guys are friends, are friends, are fans of, say, like, um, Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or, like, epic storylines like that that have, like, multiple layers of things that they all tie into one another and hyperlinked into all these different things. And it's like, oh, do you remember, like, that was from three, you know, three seasons or three movies ago or three books ago or whatever. And you see how it's all in, like, the Bible are those things on steroids, 
Like, if you appreciate the beauty and creativity and imagination of all of those stories, like, the Bible is way better than that. Like, way better. And, and so I want to, like, show you how that works um, in this. And so if you're new to all of this, you're, you're, it's all new, so it doesn't actually matter. Um, but, if, but if you're kind of an, an old head to all this stuff um, with all this Jonah story, my hope is that you're going to see a little more depth to the story and understand why, why Jesus was actually pointing to it and why it's so important for us. And we'll have applicable things to this, too. Um, but I want to give you a little bit of background first. And so who is the author of the book of Jonah? Don't be nervous. Say what you think. No. So um, we actually don't know. Uh, we, we actually don't, we don't know like, who the author is. And, um, and so was Jonah a real person? Yes. yes. Good. Uh, Jonah was a real person. We actually see Jonah. He's a prophet of God, which means a messenger of God. In 2 Kings uh, chapter 14, it was during the reign of King Jeroboam II, and, uh, who was an evil, evil king. And, um, and so even that in and of itself is trying to tie in this reality of, of Jonah into a larger story of how God is dealing with the people of Israel, his chosen people. And so, um, did the story of Jonah actually happen? How many of you guys think yes? It's okay if you do. How many of you guys think, no, I don't think so? Okay, how many of you guys are like, I don't, I don't want to raise my hand? <laughs> so, um, okay. So this story of Jonah, which is interesting. So the genre of uh, the, the book of Jonah in and of itself is, is actually satire. Um, so it's, it's written in a way um, that's supposed to, if you think of like Saturday Night Live kind of skits. And so that's how it was actually written. It's written to be humorous. I mean, like, I don't see the humor. It's like, because we aren't Hebrews, like, in that time frame and contextually speaking. And so there, there are lines in there. Even when I read the title of his name, it's supposed to be funny. Okay, you guys are going to be like, that's not funny. Uh, I get it, all right? But, but it, was, it was supposed to be um, to them. And so the genre is actually uh, satire. Uh, the genre, um, and, and another way to view it is, you know how Jesus like, spoke in parables? Um, this is how the book of Jonah was actually written. It's it a type of parable. Now, it's interesting is some of Jesus' parables um, did use real people in them. Um, a lot of times we think of even the story, some of the parables Jesus were they possible life scenarios that Jesus encountered and may have happened and that he uses for a larger thing? Yes. So is it possible that this story of Jonah happened? It's possible. Did it definitively happen? No. We actually, it's just conjecture. Like, so if you believe, if in your heart of hearts, you're like, Jonah's story has to be true. Go ahead. Okay, that's totally fine. Um, if you're like, this Jonah story, I don't want it to be true. Like, it's just too, it's too unbelievable. I would say like, well, one, why? It, God can do whatever he wants to, right? Like, he can pull off some unbelievable stuff, right? So, so he could, all right? So, it, but if you just think like, no, I just want to see it as a parable, like, you're good too. So, so now what do I think? I don't know. Um, honestly, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me if it happened or if it didn't happen um, because there's a deeper, richer meaning and story within the context of it that does not, it doesn't hinge on whether or not this story actually happened. And so um, for me, it just doesn't matter and my view of the Bible doesn't rise or fall on whether or not this story happened or not um, because there's something bigger that's actually going on in terms of how the writers um, actually engaged it. And so those things are all really important. So you guys ready to dive in? Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, this is going to be a little different than I normally do. So we're going to go like verse by verse. 
Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now here, you would start laughing. This feels weird though, right? Feels weird, because like, but to an ancient like Israel, Israelite or Hebrew person that's hearing this story or it's being told, this, this is the kind of book that actually would have been performed like the story would have been performed. And so, um, so even on the front end, like you would have laughed at the idea of the name because you would have known the result of this story. The first time you might not have laughed, but the second time you would have laughed. Because um, first of all, Jonah's name means dove and the son of Amittai means the son of faithfulness. And Jonah is anything but faithful. Um, Jonah is a lot of things, but being faithful is actually not one of them in this story. In the way he's so, so essentially when the second time you heard this story and it was performed before, you would have heard his name and you'd just given like a little eye roll to it. You'd be like, oh God, yeah, sure, son of Amittai, right, right. Again, doesn't seem like it, we would laugh because like we're funnier now, I guess. But, <laughs> but like to them, this was a form of like satire and, and humor into the, to the story. So he says this, look at this, what's this word? Come on, you guys. This is a two-letter one. Even that's one of Ruby's sight words. Okay, so, so go. This is the first thing that he's told to do. To go. Um, another way to see this is to arise, to get up. All right. He says, go to the great city of where, Nineveh, and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. And so, on the front end, there's a couple of little details here that I want you guys to see. One was his name. Um, but the second thing is this, is this great city of Nineveh. And I want you to see um, some of the complexity of how the Bible works and why this stuff becomes so important uh, when we see little details. Uh, the great city, that phrase. So right in the beginning, the, the author of this, is, it's so brilliant. I mean, it's so brilliant. The author, we might kind of casually read over that, right? And be like, oh, the great city of Nineveh. It's just pointing to something. But the author back then would have been actually pointing to something bigger, trying to get you as the listener to cue into something bigger than simply Nineveh. See, what he's doing, that phrase great city was used only one other time in all of Hebrew scripture. And that was in the story of the Tower of Babel. And it was the great city of Nineveh that is discussed in the Tower of Babel. This guy named Nimrod was the guy who kind of started this Assyria and brings on this great city known as Nineveh. And so to the listener, now you're growing up with all this stuff, so you would have known. It's like just common language for them. Now to us, it isn't. But as this person is writing this down, he's like, I'm going to clue you in. It's this, see, this story that you're about to hear about Jonah is actually not just about Jonah. It's about something bigger that's going on. It's about the human condition. It's about our human interaction. In the Tower of Babel story, you know, it was like the wickedness of the people. They thought that they were God, and God was like, nah, I'm going to scatter you all and make you learn because of your pride and your ego and everything. And so he's like, he's trying to get the listener right off the top to say, hey, this is bigger than the story. This is about the human condition. This is about how we are supposed to relate to God. This is about how we're supposed to see God. This is about how God sees us and how he responds. Simply by that little phrase, the great city of Nineveh. And so the writers are trying to give us little clues to tie us into to something a little bit deeper. But he says to Jonah to get up and to rise up and to, to go. And he's doing this because what? There's wickedness in front of us. He's like, this wickedness is, is causing a lot of hurt. It's causing a lot of pain. It's causing um, people to begin separated from who they're designed to be and who they're created to be. And so Jonah, this is God speaking, I'm telling you to get up and go and to speak into this. And so he's setting something to get up to go, to arise, right? 
there's something, he's setting a tone in this whole story of, of what Jonah is actually called to do. But here's the thing. Is this story just about Jonah? No. This story is about you. This story is about me. This story is about um, what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to listen to the call of God. And, and did you know that God has called you to get up and go and to arise? And so the listener would be queuing into some of these things. The story continues on. It says, but Jonah, what did he do? Mm, from the Lord and headed to where? Yeah, it's a funny word to say, right? Or like Tarshish. Right? Yeah, yeah. Tarshish. That's where he runs away to. He went what? Hmm. Didn't he just, what did God tell him to do? To do what? You're going to see this a lot, that God had told him to get up, arise, and go. But what does Jonah keep doing? Goes down. And so you're going to see this kind of, the, the way the, the author writes this, he wants to think, oh, God's telling us to, to get up and arise and go do something. But Jonah's response, and, and maybe you can feel this a little bit in your own life, you keep choosing to actually go down. God has told you to get up and arise, but you're like, no, I'm just going to keep going further. And I'm going to keep going down. Because I don't want to listen. See, Jonah goes down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to what? Flee from the Lord. All right? So I want to point out a few things here. Jonah is a, uh, how, how many of you guys have seen Forrest Gump? So older, I know so many young folks. Like, oh, I don't see All right, so. Wonderful movie, and you remember Forrest Gump, and say it in his accent when you respond. He, he said what? I was... You guys, have you not... Have you really seen this movie? For, forced to be like... And he was like, and I was running. Right? Like, that's what he would say all the time. Like, all the time. And Forrest was always running. So Jonah is the prophet who runs. So I want you to think of... Jonah's the Forrest Gump of all the prophets. All right? So when you think of Jonah, I always want you to think, Jonah was running. Okay? So whenever you have that just ingrained in your head for the rest of your life. Okay? So, so Jonah was the Forrest Gump of the prophets. Like, he was a runner. He, he ran away. God had given him something to do and, and this great mission he was supposed to be on, but Jonah decides to run away because he didn't want to listen. You see, here's where Jonah was going. See, this is Joppa right here. Um, so right now, this is modern-day Tel Aviv. If you've ever been to Israel, um, it's, uh, it's right near Tel Aviv. It's known as Jaffa now. Um, but so he's going there. And so this is part of when something's written as a parable and in this genre of satire and everything, everything's going to be hyperbolic as well. All right, so some of these details. So look at this. He's running to Tarshish, all right? So Tarshish is essentially where the Strait of Gibraltar is, uh, where Spain is, like if you're kind of like a modern day. And um, to them, that was the end of the world. That's all they knew. So 2,500 miles is forever to them. It's like, I'm fleeing to the ends of the earth, which is like, again, it's such a hyperbolic statement because can you run from God? You feel like you can. How many of you guys have run from God? Some of y'all might be currently running, and we'll talk about that in a second. When I was running from God, I felt like I could hide. But you can't. You can't. So here's the author. He's like, he's like, 
he's going to go so far away to make the listener be like, like, oh yeah, like as if you could go that far, first of all. And secondly, you think that far, like God's not there too? You can keep trying to run, but God is still right there. And so they're trying to set all this up. It's like, you can go the 500 miles over to Nineveh, but you're actually like 3,000 miles from where he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be in Nineveh, but he's supposed to be, he's 3,000 miles apart. And he's trying to run. Now he goes to the city of Tarshish. Now Tarshish is an interesting place because um, when you read throughout the Bible, um, again, this feels like on the front end that this is just like a random city, but in, in scripture, um, the ships of Tarshish were always a thing. And, uh, and so it was always used as a reference to like luxury, um, to great riches, to um, kings would pull things from the ships of Tarshish. So it always carried like extravagant cargo. Um, the, the place in and of itself was deemed almost like um, it was a place of perfection, almost like the Garden of Eden. That it was like, it was so like, it was so nice and extravagant and luxurious. Have you ever been to somewhere that like you walk into a place and it's like pristine and you're like, oh, this place is perfect, right? This place is perfect. And it's like, that's, like, think about, um, you ever been to like a five-star hotel or someplace like that, you know, or to a beach or something that you're just like, this is unbelievable. And you compare it to like your dorm room in college. Do you know what I mean? Like Nineveh is your dorm room. Tarshish is like the beach or the five-star hotel, whatever is like luxury, okay? And so there's this like view of like, oh, if you could just get there, like that's where all the good stuff is. I don't want to go over to Nineveh. And he's running to this place. And so, so even the reader would clue into like, all right, I know where Tarshish always represents. It's about luxury, extravagance. Like seemingly it's all got its stuff together. It's like it's a little bit, might even look a little bit like the Garden of Eden. And so the, the reader and listener would cue into that. Like, oh, like he's running to that. But why is Jonah running to that? Well, there's one of two reasons why Jonah is running. The first reason is either he is super like judgmental, condescending, moralistic kind of person who's like, I don't want to have anything to do with those kinds of people. That sounds a lot like how Christianity is described right now by the world around us, is it not? Like, I don't want to have anything to do with like those kinds of people. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to run in the opposite direction to the place that seems like they have all their stuff together. You know, the really nice place that doesn't have those kinds of problems. That's where I'm going to reside. And that's where I'm going to go. Because I'm so judgmental and condescending of those people, I'm not even going to engage. The second reason might be, and actually both of these we'll see in the story, is that he's actually um, gotten too passive around sin. You see, God has said to him, um, you're supposed to go call out like those sins. You're supposed to engage the reality, the wickedness of what you see before you. And I want you to go in there and actually be a light into the darkness. But, but he's too passive. He's, he's gotten too lax on all of it. And he's like, mm, I'd rather not. I don't actually want to engage those things at all because maybe he's fearful. Maybe he's um, unaware or maybe he's like lost track or like sight of what God might be able to do in the midst of this. And so instead, Jonah runs. And he runs, and he runs a long way. He actually spends a lot of money to run away. And it got me thinking this week about just simply running, not, not running, like physically running, but the running that I, you know, I've done in my own life. I started thinking about 
I can't imagine the thousands of dollars I spent running. I can't imagine the amount of time I spent running. It's hard to tally all of that up. I'm just running. We run when we want to avoid what's actually going on inside of us. We run when we, we don't want to come to grips what's really going on inside of us. And running can look a lot of different ways. Running can, can really like look like you just start making a lot of poor decisions in your life. Running might look like hanging around with the wrong kind of people. Uh, running might simply just look like just being disconnected. Like you're not like making like bad decisions, but you just decided, you know what, I'm just going to completely disconnect. But you're actually running because you don't actually want to deal with what's really going on inside of you. What's really at the core of, of why you're, you're actually, and, and listen, some of you guys might be in the spot right now. You may have not started running yet, but you've turned. You've turned. And it's like trying to figure out like this understanding of running and why I run. I wrote this down. I said, when we admit to why we are running, we will discover where we are going. And here's what I mean by that. When you discover what's really going on inside of you, and you understand why, you'll begin to see where you're going. So if you're running away from God for whatever reason that is, and again, the reasons could be a plenty. But for whatever reason you've stepped away from God or disconnected or become lackadaisical or flat out just decided to just distance yourself and you just happen to be here this morning. By the way, you're not just happen to be here. But whatever state that you're in, when you actually figure out like, why that is, you'll know where you're going. So if you want healing from something in your life, but you're running, you're not going to actually find healing, right? Because you're running away from it. If you're like, I wanna, I'm running away from the grace of God, do you think you're going discover, to discover the grace of God? No. So you figure out, like, oh, actually, how I'm running and where I'm going is actually taking me in a direction of some kind, and it's determining where you're going to go and what your life is going to actually look like. And so I just wanted to pause here for just a second because some of you guys are currently running. Some of you guys have just turned. Some of you may be doing like a straight, like small stroll away from God. Some of you guys are healing from running and you've actually turned back to God. Some of you guys have been hurt from a runner in your own life. And so I wanted to pause for just a second right here before we finish up. And I just wanted to pray. And I wanted to just like pause and think for a second. Because again, we get into a story like this and we're like, oh, it's Jonah and the fish. It's like, no, it's not that. There's something bigger about what's going on. So I want you to close your eyes for just a second. Um, And ask yourself, Why am I running? Or where am I running? What's the thing that I'm actually, you know, I'm turning away from God at this right now? Or maybe, maybe, you've healed from that running and you just need to sit in that grace right now. Or maybe it's someone else's running that really hurt you. And you just need to be honest about that. So God, um, 
I want to pray for the runners right now. I pray that you will do something to slow their feet down and get them to just turn around for just a second to see that you've got a great mission and a great calling and a great purpose for their life and that they will never discover it running away from you. But that God, right now, that as they begin to know and understand what they might be running from, to know that you have healing from that, you have forgiveness, you have grace within all of that, if they would just turn back to you. For those that are here right now that have been hurt by someone who's run away, God, that you would bring strength and comfort to their hearts and minds. As we'll read here in just a second, the storms of life might come at us, God, but you're there in the storm. And for those, God, that um, we're running, are no longer running, but that are actually running towards you, oh God, that you would fill them with such great hope that they would know and feel the weight and depth of your grace. And that the transformation that's happening in their hearts is not fleeting, but permanent. In your name, amen. Story continues on in verse four and says this, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. All of this language, you guys, goodness gracious, is tied into all this other stuff. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Look at this. This is just an interesting thing. They, again, it shows you just the genre of writing. The, the author actually personifies the ship. The way it's written is that the ship actually decided it might break up, right? So you see like some of the elements to, to this that it's like it's not just as simple a reading that we think it is. And all the sailors, here we have this new character, sailors that were afraid and each cried out to their own gods. And they threw in, into the cargo the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah, where did he go? Gone below, which is what? Down. Where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Look what the captain then says, to do what? Huh. God told him that, and then this pagan sailor tells him that. So God tells him that, and then God then uses a pagan sailor to do, say the same thing, like, get up. Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And so even some of the words we see here again, Jonah's going down. Um, there's some irony in some of the wording that's there that I won't get into. Um, but he's trying to get us to understand that like, hey, something is happening here. And you know, like, Jonah keeps going down, but, but even the sailors, the pagan sailors, that, that God's doing something in them and seeing in them. And, and isn't it interesting, the human condition, that the sailors look to their own gods first. What's interesting is you've done this too. I've done this too. You might be currently doing this, where there's another God in your life that you look to first in the midst of the storm. Alcohol, drugs, sex, money, work, a hobby, whatever. Like, they become a God. That's what you look to first to satisfy a need, to answer a question. And what's interesting, this is the human condition. The people, everyone, begins to look to other gods first and they discover, oh, that's actually empty. But maybe this other god, this other one that you guys have talked about, maybe living through, I might know someone who knows this other god. Maybe if you call out to him, the whole answer, 
we start seeing something else is transpiring in the sailors and something else is supposed to be seen in this message of the storm. The sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots, find out who is responsible for this calamity. And so they cast the lots and they fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you, right? You see like all these people, all of a sudden they're like, oh, this is your fault. Now, here's what's interesting. Um, I, we actually see this a lot with like how, how non-Christians respond to Christians right now. They're, they're asking like, like What's your deal? Like, why are you doing it this way? Why are you hurting people? Why aren't you generous? Why do you act like that? Why do you talk like that? And it's like, pop, 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 pop. It's the same thing. Well, why is that happening? It's like, oh, the person who's supposed to be the person of God is actually not acting like they're supposed to be acting, not thinking like they're supposed to be thinking, not going about the way that they're supposed to go. And the non-Christians, the non-believers, the people who are supposed to be so far away from God are like, that's not who you're supposed to be. And so you become exposed. In verse 9, continues, oh, I'm sorry. In verse 9, it says, this is how Jonah responds. I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. What does that sound like? Who's he pointed to? God who did what? Created everything. And so now the author is trying to get us into thinking about the whole creation story. All right? So we've gone from just Jonah to tying into 2 Kings, to tying into all the other prophetic writings, to tying into the flood story, the Tower of Babel story, and now the entire creation story. So the writer's trying to get us to think like way bigger about the human condition, way bigger about what's going on with everything. And look at this right here. They ask him, what have you done? It's literally the same phrase God asks Eve in Genesis chapter 3. And he's like, do you see what this is doing? Your running is actually sinful. And even the people who aren't God's people know it. And that this sin actually hurts you and it hurts us. And now guess what? We're in this storm because of your sin. And we start seeing that, that our sin never sits by itself. Our sin just doesn't hurt us. Our sin hurts other people around us. And so when you start running, guess what? You're not running just to hurt yourself. You're running actually hurting other people around you. And that's part of how sin works. The story continues and says, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. That's what Jonah says. And it will become calm, and I know that it's my fault that this great storm has uh, come upon you. Now listen, it sounds like he's doing this heroic thing, but he's not. He's still trying to run. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, no longer their gods. You see, in the midst of a storm and suffering and pain, guess what? The other gods never answered the question. See, if you could just make enough money to not go through pain, then money would work, but that God just doesn't work. It never answers the question of suffering and pain. So then who do you cry out to? The creator of all things. Because that's where the only answer lies. It says, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you have pleased. In the story of creation, beginning of Genesis, it says that there was chaos and that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And in the same way, here we see in the story that the sea calms when God decided to calm it. See, when they, the sailors engaged the Lord, 
in the right way, everything began to calm down around them. What's interesting is even, I just want you to see the beauty of the Bible. Um, this guy named uh, Rich Viotis put this, he, he tweeted this out. It's just an interesting, like, just how everything interlinks in the Bible, and this is why it's just so cool. But in the story of Jesus on, on the wire, it's like, Jonah sleeps, Jesus sleeps. Captain wakes up Jonah, disciples wake up Jesus. The sailors question Jonah, disciples question Jesus. The sea was rough, the sea was rough. The sailors row hard, the disciples row hard. Jonah is thrown off and the wind is calmed. Jesus stands and the wind is calmed. The sailors are in awe, the disciples are in awe. And so when Jesus points to the story of Jonah and Laura, you can come up. When Jesus points to the story, it's not just about Jonah and the fish. What Jesus is saying is like, part of what he's saying, we'll build on this, but part of what he's saying is, you've been running and you're just like Jonah. You might be in a storm looking to other gods for answers. But what Jesus is saying is like, I can calm that storm. I can give you hope. I can show you grace. See, Jonah ran, Jesus stayed. Jonah decided to ignore God. Jesus embodies God. Jonah lacked courage. Jesus had all the courage in the world. Jonah couldn't save. Jesus can save. Jonah couldn't calm the storm, but Jesus calms the storm. And so Jesus, when we read a story like this, when Jesus is like, I already gave you a sign, y'all. He would say the same thing to us. He'd be like, just read the story of Jonah. You'd be like, but it's about a fish. He'd be like, it ain't about a fish. See, the story of Jonah is about Jesus. It's about a Jesus who loves and deeply cares for you. That forgives and gives grace. It is our only hope that we have. It is the only answer to suffering and pain. And here's what Jesus is asking you. To arise, to get up, and to stop running. So the band's going to come up. We're going to sing one more song. You know, and as we pray, why don't you guys go ahead and stand now. I'm going to say it. Feel like it's fitting since God told Jonah to arise. We might as well arise. Why don't you go ahead and close your eyes for just a second? And the band's going to, as they get ready, I just want you to spend just a moment here in silence before we sing. God has told you to get up and go. To stop running. If you feel like you're in a storm, Jesus is the only one that can calm it. 